Um, we just finished a series last week. It was called The Year of Jesus, and it was really about taking Jesus seriously, right? And like in this, in this year, making that decision where like, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to figure out what that means. And so we ended last week's uh, message with kind of a, a call or an, an opportunity to engage in something that will help you to make this year the year of Jesus, and it's called discipleship groups. And we're starting it this week. Last week we had a little information meeting about it to see if people are interested and to get to know what it's really about. Today we're beginning, but there is still an opportunity. So if that's something that you're interested in, why don't you join us today? We're gonna give announcements, some of the details later about you know, what we're really talking about. Um, join us today, and if this is not for you, that's fine, but if you're interested, we wanna create that opportunity, that kind of on-ramp for you to engage in this discipleship group that I think could be really meaningful for people. So that's uh, something that I'm really excited about that we're starting up today. Um, today, this message, you know, every now and again, as I'm preparing for a sermon, as I'm like, you know, reading and praying and studying and thinking, every now and again, God gives me a message where he gives me the message, but he says, Chris, this is not for everybody. That this is not probably not going to be one of those sermons where people afterwards are going to be like, hey man, pastor, that was fire, right? Like how Pastor Jonathan says, right? Uh, this is not one of those sermons where people are going to be like, man, that was such a great message, but this message is for somebody. You know, and I get nervous when God gives me that message, right? Like this message is for somebody. It may be for like one person in this room or like two I'm hoping like three, <laughs> maybe. Maybe it's for someone not even in this room, it's someone watching online, or maybe this message is even for someone who's not here, not watching, but later on, they're gonna somehow stumble across our podcast or our YouTube channel and be like, what's this about? And then that is the reason why this message is there. Like, I don't know. And these are really, really difficult messages for me to like prepare and preach because it's like this goes against kind of what I know and like what I learned about public speaking. Like this is not really for you. So, so at the end of this message, if you step away and you're like, I don't really like that, then it wasn't for you. So you're fine, okay? And then next week maybe it's going to be, you know, really what, what really for you. But, but I, I wanted to put, a, put that out there because this message is really for kind of a specific group of people or a specific person in a specific place in their life. And what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at one story in the book of 1 Kings, and we're really just gonna be going verse by verse and seeing how God is creating a message for us, for you, if you are that person who really needs to hear this. So, uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, so much for this wonderful, beautiful Sabbath day that we have outside. The weather is fantastic. We're so thankful that you've gathered us together, uh, for, for all, all of us here, for church and for worship, to connect with you and with each other. Um, Lord, I want to say a quick prayer uh, to bless the uh, high school girls' spiritual retreat that's going on right now at the coast with Pastor Jonathan, Elena, and Olivia. We pray, God, that your spirit would move there to lead those young women to grow closer to you, uh, to be convicted and have grow passion in their lives for, for following you. Um, please be with them and watch over us and be present in this place. Lord, name me pray. Amen. I'm just going to go straight to the text, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. Now Ahab who is a king of Israel, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, 24 hours, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now this is a very roundabout way to say, I'm gonna kill you by tomorrow. Right, so, so what happened in this story is 
uh, Elijah was just on a mountain called Mount Carmel, and you have this, like, one of the, the, the best stories, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, where God is like, all right, man, listen up, let's, let's, like, let's deal with this, let's settle this once and for all, who's God? And so Elijah goes and he challenges all these false prophets and says, hey, if, you, if your God is real, you know, have him call down fire and burn up the stuff. If he's not, I'm going to do it, and then we'll know once and for all who's really God, like which God is really true. And so he does this whole thing, God comes through, sends this giant fireball from heaven, and all these crazy things happen, and they're like, see, my God is real, your God is fake. Sorry, guys, you're done. And so he kills all the prophets. Now Jezebel is like, she loves those prophets. Like, they're, they're her guys, right? She believes in that religion, she's all about that. And so she's very upset, and she sends this message to Elijah. Now, there's a couple of things that you need to know that's very dangerous about this situation. Number one is this is not an empty threat. Jezebel has already killed a bunch of prophets of God. Right? She does not want Elijah scared. She wants Elijah dead. And the other thing is she sent a messenger to who? To Elijah. Guess what? She, she's like, I know where you live. So this is not an empty threat. This is a real situation. This is a real death threat that Elijah has gotten because of what he just did. Now, at the same time, Elijah just stepped away from one of the most amazing revelations of God's power in the entire Bible, right? Like you got, you got uh, splitting the Red Sea, that's like up there, right, in the Old Testament. You got like Jericho with the, 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 the cities falling down. You got these battles. But this is like one of the biggest, most powerful, most obvious revelations of God's glory and God's power. And he just stepped away from it. Like this happened literally like yesterday or like last week. And so you can imagine that in this moment, he's like, I'll take on anybody. Right, like I took on 450 prophets, or God and I together, we did it, and you couldn't touch me. God threw this fireball in my face. Jezebel, you ain't got nothing on me. Right, like what are you gonna do? Right, like I throw a fireball in your face. You know, like you gonna kill me? What are you talking about? Like bring it on. Like I can imagine that Elijah would be pumped up. He's just stepped away from this, from, from performing and, and being a part of one of the greatest events that like a human could be a part of. Right, like this is amazing what he just saw, what he just witnessed. So he's not afraid, right? Like he's not scared. But the story goes, the next verse in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, on his way out, he left his servant there. What about the fireballs, Elijah? You know, like, what about what just happened, Elijah? Something amazing. You witnessed something amazing. You were a part of something amazing where God showed you his power and that he's bigger and better and greater than anything else. That their God is fake. They're all wrong. You are right. God is real. Look at that. But Elijah is afraid. But Elijah runs for his life, and he leaves his servant, and he's now isolated and alone, and he's scared. So, like, what are you supposed to do with that? Right, Elijah, the man of God, right? There are scholars that believe that, that Moses was the symbol for the law, and that Elijah was the symbol for the prophets. Like, he's, the, he's not a prophet, he's the prophet, 
right? In, in, the, in, the, in the story, in the, in, the, in the Gospels, when Jesus is transfigured, if you don't know the story, don't worry about it. There's this moment where Jesus has this experience where he like has a spiritual experience and then the two people with him are Moses and Elijah on the mountain, on Mount Tabor. And scholars believe the reason why is because Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. And it's the fulfillment of it all in Jesus, right? Like Elijah's like a big deal. He's like the guy, he's the prophet. You know what I mean? And then he runs scared after seeing God throw fireballs from the sky. But he's afraid. And like I thought, and I've preached, and I've taught, and I heard, that doesn't faith, isn't faith supposed to overcome fear? Right, like, because I have faith, aren't I supposed to not get scared of things? Am I, aren't I supposed to not be worried? Isn't perfect love, cast, doesn't that cast out fear? Isn't that what I read in the Bible? Isn't there a story where Jesus is with his disciples, and there's a storm, and they freak out, and what does he say to them? He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? But Elisha is scared. He's afraid. And so I was like thinking about, I was like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like Elijah is a man of faith. He's a man of God. Like that's what he's known for. And he just did this amazing thing, just saw this amazing thing, something that maybe uh, probably none of us will ever see in our life, a revelation of God like that. But he was afraid from a death threat. So I don't know. Like what, what, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to, to reconcile these two? And, and this is a very real tension for a lot of us if you grew up in the church. Because you have life happening to you, and all these things happen, and then you hear messages in the church saying, no, 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 you can't be afraid. You have to have faith. No, 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 you can't be sad. You have to be you have to have faith. No, you, you can't be worried or anxious because God loves you, which is absolutely true. He cares for you, which is absolutely true. But like life is happening and this thing is really, 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 really hard for me. And I just, I'm not feeling great. Like I'm kind of in a bad place. Is, is that okay? You know, and as I was thinking about this, this relationship between fear and faith and what it's supposed to look like in real life, and as I have these examples of like Daniel who, who faced the lions, examples of Jesus, but then you have Elijah, this very real person, man of faith, who was afraid and ran for his life. I began thinking that, that maybe, maybe it's not that you never have fear. Maybe it's that fear never has you. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's not that I never, I never have fear. Maybe it's that fear never has a control over me. That, that maybe it's not that like I won't feel afraid because of, of, a, of a situation. Someone gets sick. Someone gets into a car accident. Like I'll tell you guys, like in all honesty, two years ago, my brother went to the hospital. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll be happy to share the story with you. My brother was in the hospital when we were scared for his life two years ago. Like I was afraid. I was afraid that I was going to lose my brother. And most normal people are like, that makes sense. And, and in those moments, maybe it's not that I, I don't have fear, but that fear doesn't control me. 
that fear doesn't guide me, that fear doesn't have a grip on my life, that fear doesn't consume me, that worry and anxiety, it does not overwhelm me in my life. Maybe that's kind of what it's supposed to be like. That in sometimes situations happen and you may respond because you're human and because you know, we, have, we have people we love and things we care about and we may feel that but that it's faith that undergirds that that's gonna keep us through, that's gonna keep us pushing so that one day we'll step out of that darkness. Maybe that's how it is. So if you're in a place where you're feeling afraid, you have worry, like the anxiety is crippling, that you are in a bad place right now, you're in a dark place. Like as I look at this story of Elijah, maybe you can give yourself a little bit of a break. Maybe, you, maybe it's okay to feel that way. Maybe you should not pile on top of the pain and the tragedy that you are fear, experiencing. Maybe it's okay to not put on top of that shame and guilt for feeling the way you feel. Maybe that's, that's okay. Maybe that's all right. Maybe we can, we can give ourselves a break, give us a little grace, give ourselves a little grace. And maybe if we just stick around long enough and hold on to our faith and maybe that fear is not going to dissipate completely that one day we're going to get through it and you're going to walk out and you're going to walk out back into that light. So Elijah's afraid and he's scared and he runs for his life. Now, what I really want to focus on in this message is how God responds to Elijah when he's like this. All right, when Elijah is depressed, when Elijah is like in the, in the valley, when Elijah is not feeling it, when he is very unhappy and he's really sad and just like really struggling, how does God respond to him? Because I feel like that is kind of how God is going to respond to you when you're in that similar place. So the story continues in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. It says, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Did you guys know this? Like, did you know that Elijah, the man of God, who just witnessed the craziest miracle, revelation of God's glory ever, had suicidal thoughts? Like he wanted to die. Like this was not, this was not over-exaggeration. He wanted this. He praised this multiple times in the story, as we're going to see. I can't take this. Just end it now, God. Like, I believe in you. I love you and everything, but this is too much. Like, he, Elijah had these thoughts. And, you know, I know we don't talk about this a lot, right? Like, it's weird and it's uncomfortable and it's dark and depressing to talk about, like, suicide. And it's hard. But, like, maybe that's all the more reason why we should, you know, in the church, Maybe this is all the reason, more reason why we should talk about the reality that people feel this way and that some of you might have felt this way and maybe are thinking about these kinds of things. In 2019, 12 million, this is 2019 before pandemic, 12 million people in America seriously had suicidal thoughts. They seriously considered suicide in 2019. I can't imagine what the numbers are in the pandemic. 12 million people, that's a lot of people. 
And, and again, I don't know who this is for, and I just want to throw this up there just because maybe this is the reason why God wants me to preach about this. If that is you, if you're in that place, and you're considering it, and you're thinking about it, and you have some ideation, like I'm not an expert, but what I can do is I can point you to here. If you are feeling that way, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. It's 1-800-273-TALK. 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. If you're watching this and you're thinking this about this, give them a call. Take this as God's sign that you shouldn't do this and you need to call and someone can help you. All right, like I just want to put that out there because Elijah struggled with it. You know, maybe there's someone else who might be struggling with it as well. It's crazy how Elijah is, right? Like, man, I didn't... I didn't realize that, like, Elijah was a real person with real problems, and he was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, God. I don't know if I can handle this. Like, I'm scared, and I, I, I just want to give up. So in this moment, God begins to respond. Chapter 19, verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there was by his head some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back the second time, touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Like, I, I want you guys to notice something here. Right In this place where Elijah is struggling, where he is, is in a dark place, God, God does not rebuke him. God does not yell at him. God does not say, what's wrong with you, Elijah? What more do I have to do for you? Right? He doesn't yell at him. He doesn't rebuke him. He actually doesn't even address the whole situation. He, he does later, but right now he doesn't even address it because I think God knows Elijah's not really in the place. And so what does he do? He feeds him, and he makes him sleep. And maybe you guys have seen this, this tweet. I thought this was so funny. Maybe you've seen this regarding this story. But this person, uh, at Joyness the Brave, she wrote this. This is your gentle reminder that one time in the Bible, Elijah was like, God, I'm so mad I want to die. So God said, here's some food. Why don't you have a nap? So Elijah slept, ate, and decided things weren't so bad. Never underestimate the power, the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. Right? Like, that's cute, man. Like, I like that. Right? Maybe some of you, you just need to take a nap. I know I need a nap. <laughs> I know you moms, young parents, y'all need a nap. And like the nap will just change everything, right? But what, what's really cool about this is, is in this moment, God would have every right to rebuke him and say, come on, man. Are you serious, Elijah? Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, I've shown you things that no one has ever seen before, and this is like, you're going to be all scared and run away, and you're going to be all depressed. Like, I gave you life. I gave you all these good things I fed you with ravens in the past. Like, what are you doing, man? But in that moment, what God does is he just simply takes care of Elijah. And I think there's something really powerful about that, that I know if you grew up in the church, you knew about this, but let me just put it out there for you to remember, because maybe you haven't heard this in a long time, but God wants to take care of you. He wants to take care of, like, he wants to take care of, 
of you. And I know that for a long time, if you're an adult, no one has taken care of you. You're doing all the taking care of, right? If you're a grown-up, you know that. If you have family, you, no one's taking care of you anymore. Your heavenly father, he wants to take care of you. Like, he wants to lift you up. Like, that's, that's him. He's a heavenly father. That's his heart. You know, recently, uh, Miles has been, uh, has been asking me to carry him everywhere. And he's a big boy, dude, right? He's a big boy. Like, he's not little. He's not huge, but he's, he's like, he's substantial. Like, he's got some, he's dense, right? And he will, like, ask me to carry him literally from his bedroom to the bathroom, which is about 10 steps. He goes, about. And my reaction is always, oh, no, come on, man. I'm tired. Like, oh, I can't do it. You want me to carry you again? How many times do you want me to carry? Like, there's this one time for a little season, I tried to say, okay, Miles, you get two carries a day. So pick wisely. Choose wisely, okay? You want it now? It's 8 in the morning. You want it now? Because we got the whole rest of the day, and you only got one more carry. Are you sure, right? Like, we did. That didn't work. And the reason I work is because he was like, carry me, and I would roll my eyes and give all these excuses. In the end, I would pick him up and carry him. You know why? Because I really wanted to. Like, honestly, I wanted to. I like it. Don't tell him that. I hope he's not paying attention. I hope he's drawing something right now. But I like it. I, I like this feeling of picking up my boy and carrying him because I want to take care of him. Like, that's just my heart as a father. And you know where that comes from? That comes from our heavenly father, right? Like, I'm not a great person. That comes because that is who our father is. Oh, he's looking at me now. I think he knows what I'm talking about. But your heavenly father, he wants to take care of you. Like, when you're in these places, he wants to pick you up. And he wants to carry you. And he wants to, like, provide the things that you need. And he wants to encourage you. And he wants, yes, there's going to be times where he asks, challenges you to walk and walk on your own and give you strength and encourage you with words. Yeah, like, there are going to be times like that. But never forget that your God, your Heavenly Father, he wants more than anything else to just take care of you. He loves you and he wants to be there for you. You know, as a parent, sometimes the hardest thing is to not do something that you want to do. Like you want to care for them. You want to pick them up, but you know that you got to step back. Sometimes that's the hardest thing. And I think that represents the heart of God. In this moment, Elijah is in the darkest place and God just wants to take care of him. He's like, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about the issue. We'll get to the bottom of this later. But I just want to care for you right now. And so he does. And I think it's so cool that the care in this story takes the form of self-care. Right? It's not like an emotional, spiritual lesson. It's not like uh, something in his heart. It's not something like moving in his spirit that got him excited and, and he didn't cast a vision. He didn't like pump him up. He didn't give him confidence by saying, hey man, you're a great guy. Like you can do it, man. Like he's not doing that. The care that God gives him is like in the form of self-care. It's eating and sleeping, like taking care of him. You know, and... and I love that idea that God would just simply, simply do that. And like that's the most basic form of self-care. Right? When you call your mom, you know, even if you're like you know, adult and you're grown up, right? Like when you call your mom, what do they always ask you? Are you eating well? Right? Moms know. Like that's the most basic form of self-care. And like God's love and God's concern comes in the form of, hey, I got to take care of you, man. So you got to eat and you got to sleep. 
You got to eat and you got to sleep. And some of you, that's the message for you. Like today, you need to eat and you need to sleep today. And that's maybe what, what you got to do today. Maybe that's your takeaway. So God cares for him and then takes him to this place called Mount Horeb. And uh, Mount Horeb, which was really interesting, is, has a different name. Mount Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. And if you grew up in the church, you know anything about the Bible, Mount Sinai is where Moses received the Ten Commandments from God. And it was in that place Moses got closer to God than anyone has ever been close. Right? Like he, in that moment where he stood, he had this moment where, where he's like, I want to see you, God. Like, I want to see your glory. Like, you need, to, you need to show me. And he's like, okay, but if I show you my glory, if I show you my face, you're going to die. So I'm going to put you in a, in a little crack here. I'm going to cover it up. I'm going to pass by. And that's a key word. I'm going to pass by. I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back. And you'll see my glory, right? Like, that's where this happened. And some scholars believe that Elijah was taken to that exact same spot. Now, honestly, there's no way to know, but it kind of sounds nice, so let's go with it, right? So he takes Elijah to the, that, at least that same mountain to have a conversation with him. And he says to him in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? This is a really good question. This is a really good question that we need to ask ourselves from time to time. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? Because so much of life, guys, isn't it true? So much of life can just be like on autopilot. Like you are professional livers of your life. You can do your life with your eyes closed, right? Like you can do the thing. You have the routine. You got it down. And it's so easy to just live life on autopilot. It's really important that every now and again you stop and ask the question, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? And in the, the more important areas of your life, the more important an area of your life is, the more you have to ask this question. Right? The more significant that area of life is, the more often I want to encourage you to ask this question, what am I doing here? Right, and I would argue that it comes down to like your family, your relationships, with God, like in those specific areas, like you gotta ask this question, what am I doing here? Like when it comes to your parenting or raising your family, what, what am I doing here? When it comes to your spouse, you and your wife or your husband, what, what am I doing here? When it comes to your relationship with God, hey, what am I really doing here? You know, what, what am I really doing here when I'm reading the Bible? What am I really doing here when I'm at church singing these songs, listening to Pastor Chris? Like, what, 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 what am I doing here? And, and here's the thing that I realized. You're going to ask the question regardless. Most of the times, it happens after. So let me give you an example. When you're watching your kids, and your kids do something, and you get mad, and you yell, you had a bad day, and you get mad, and you yell at them, and you have this fight. After it's all done, it's all quiet, the kid's fuming in their room or whatever, and you walk away, what's the question that comes to your head? What am I doing? What am I doing? Why did I do that? It wasn't that big of a deal. Like, what, what, what am I doing here, man? Like, what am I trying to accomplish as a parent? Or maybe between you and your spouse, you and your wife, and, and you know that there's a thing that you want to say. You know it's not true, but you want to say it because you know it's hurtful and it's going to get them. And you say it, and then they're like, you know, in shock. And then you separate, and then what do you think? 
what am I doing? Why did I say that? I knew I shouldn't have said that. You're such a dummy. Like, why? What am I doing here? Or when it comes to your relationship with God, and you know, like, all right, man, I got to spend this time in prayer. I'm going to read my Bible. But then you open your computer because you're like, you don't know where your paper Bible is. So you go online, and you go look at your Bible, but then you go to Netflix instead, or you go on Instagram, and you're there for like an hour, and then you sit, and you're like, oh, what am I doing? See, you're going to ask the question either way. You're going to ask the question either way, what am I doing? And in those times, when it comes afterwards, it's usually out of regret. But what happens if you ask that question before? Right? It's about timing. If before you get into the fight, before you yell, you ask yourself that question, what am I doing here? That could change everything. Before you decide to go on social media, before you decide to go on a Netflix binge or a YouTube spiral, you say, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? That could change a lot for you. So this is such a powerful question to ask ourselves every now and again, especially in the important areas of our lives. What am I doing? So God asked Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? And some scholars believe that this is a rebuke, that this is him saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? Like, you're supposed to be back in Jezreel. Like, that's where, you were, that's where you were. You weren't supposed to run away from Jezebel. Don't be scared of her. You weren't supposed to come all this way. You weren't supposed to be afraid. Some scholars believe this is a rebuke, but I don't think so. I don't think this is a rebuke because, number one, God never actually rebukes him. He asks the question, and he allows Elijah to respond. I think this question and this whole situation is God encouraging him. So he says, what are you doing here? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. This is why I'm here, God. I was very zealous for you, but all this stuff has happened. No one's listening to me. They tore down all those things. They killed all those prophets, and now they're after me. That's why I'm here, God. And if you break this down, there's really three things that Elijah is saying. Why are you here, Elijah? Well, number one, I'm useless. I tried all this stuff, but nothing's changing. Nothing's happening. I'm useless, and everything that I do is pointless. I'm alone. They killed all my friends. They killed all the other prophets. I'm the only one that cares about you, God. I'm the only one trying to do the right thing. I'm alone. And the third is, I have reason to be afraid because they're coming after me, and they're trying to kill me. Here's the thing. None of those three statements are true. None of those are true. Right, if you look at what he's done, he's Elijah, right? Like he's the guy who's going to represent the prophets. He's not useless. He literally just showed everyone that God is a true God. They, killed, they got rid of 450 prophets of Baal. Later on in the story, you're going to see other prophets inspired by Elijah do God's work. He's not useless. The things that he's doing, they're making a difference. He's not alone. You find out late in the story there are 7,000 other prophets that he doesn't even know about. He's not alone. And he has no reason to be afraid because God is there. If you're burnt out, if you're struggling, if you're like having a really hard time in life, there's a possibility that you are thinking one or more of these three lies. Or maybe all of them. Like I know for me, the times where I've been most burnt out in my life and in ministry and all that stuff, I thought I'm useless. This is all pointless. Everything I do doesn't make a difference. I thought, I'm alone. No one else cares. 
You know, I've definitely, in those, in those times, feeling, believing those lies led to a place, led me to a place where I'm burnt out and struggling and just like having a really, 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 really hard time. All those things are lies, but Elijah believes them. Why? Why is it that Elijah would believe these lies? I think it's because he was afraid. Because I think that's what fear does. You know, I think fear makes you believe things that aren't true. I think fear makes you believe in lies. You know, for example, a couple of weeks ago, uh, for the church, we, if you guys were here, we gave out rice cakes to everybody. You guys remember that? It's good, right? Like, it was good? Yeah? Okay. Some of you guys, you missed it. That's what happens when you miss church. You don't get rice cakes. So we had these rice cakes, and um, when we were talking to, or when, when my wife was talking to the person who ordered the rice cakes, you know what the lady said? She's like, okay, we, have, we need to feed this many people. We want this many. She's like, oh, that's not enough. You need more. I'm like, oh, are you sure? Yeah, 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 no, no, no. You definitely can't feed that many people with this many. So what is she doing? She's giving us fear. Oh, you can't feed everybody. There's going to be some hungry kids. There's going to be some hungry adults. Like, you got to feed. Oh, you, you better, because if you don't. So we're like, oh, no, oh, okay, okay, okay. So here's what you need to do. You need to buy 5,000 more rice cakes, right? And we're like, okay, we'll buy those rice cakes. And now I got like seven bags of rice cakes in my freezer, and I was like, when am I going to eat this? So if you guys want rice cakes, come over to my house. I got a ton for you. But that's what happens. When you're afraid, you start believing in lies. Right? When, you, like, when you get conned, a lot of times cons pr- prey on your fear to trick you because you're afraid they're going to offer something to, to, to relieve that fear that is a lie. And so Elijah is afraid and he believed these lies. So what God does is he had this amazing, amazing display of God's revelation one more time, right? Like he already saw that thing on Mount Carmel, but this time you have this, you have this amazing sequence of like, of like air bending and fire bending and earth bending right before his very eyes. And it's amazing and it's fantastic. And then God leans in and you have that famous verse in the Bible where it's like God was not in the wind or the earthquake or in the fire. God was in the whisper. You know, the famous, famous story, right? The famous verse, which is so cool. And like I was thinking, I'm like, man, that's amazing, right? Because when do you whisper? Or when can you whisper actually is a better question. You can't whisper when someone is Like, I can't whisper to you guys, right? I can't whisper to someone across the room. I can only whisper when? When I'm close. So God whispering is God drawing so close to the ear of Elijah that he could whisper to him, and Elijah can hear. It's a powerful man. So beautiful, right? And then he whispers to him, what are you doing here? Same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And I think God's revelation of the fire and all that stuff is to show him, hey, all those things you're worried about and scared of, you don't need to, man. Like, I got those things covered. Like, I'll take care of you. You don't have to fear. You don't have to believe those lies. And so he says, what are you doing here? And listen to his answer. Elijah's answer replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death. With the sword, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. It's the same answer. It's the same answer, like it's the exact same words from just a few verses ago. It's the same answer, like God does all these, this amazing thing for him and makes no difference. And I don't like this. And I, honestly, I had a hard time with this part of the story. Because I'm thinking, right, 
if God does that, Elijah, man, you got to change. Right? Like, you got you to gotta get a little bit more courage. You got to step up a little bit. Like, how are you going to say the same exact thing you said to God that's so depressing and sad, that's all lies? How are you going to say that to God again? You know, and so I was like, man, this is hard. Like, I don't know, I don't know what to do with this because, like, if God can't inspire him, like, dude. And if I'm in that place and God can't even reach me if he couldn't reach Elijah, who's this man of faith that I'm just like some schmo here in Portland, right? Like, what's, what am I supposed to do? And I was like, man, this, that's rough. This is a really hard, hard thing to, to grasp. And then I was like, man. You know, the Bible is so real. Like, it's so real. Like, this is life. You know, like, the, the Bible does not sugarcoat. Oh, like, fairy tale ending. So then Elijah, right, because this is what I want to see. What I want to see is Elijah sees all that stuff, and God's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm a prophet. And God's like, I can't hear you. He's like, say it louder. I'm a prophet. Say it again, I can't hear you. He's like, I'm a prophet, right? Like that whole, and then he gets all pumped up. He's like, all right, go back to Jezreel, go do your thing. And he like slaps him on the butt, like, yeah, 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 right? He gets pumped up, fired up, motivated, like what we see, you know, in sports and in movies and all that stuff. Like, that's what I want to see. But then Elijah's like, mm, I'm scared. That was cool, God, but like everyone wants to kill me and I'm useless and I'm alone. And like, it's the same thing. But that's real, isn't it? Like sometimes you come to church and there's this message, right? And then everyone's like, man, that was amazing. And you're like, really? I guess, like that was cool. Or you go to camp meeting or you go to some thing and people have this amazing experience and maybe you've seen this, people go up on the front and give their lives to Jesus. It's like, oh, like giving their heart and they're surrendering all. And you're like, mm, all right, like what are we doing after this? No, that's life. That's real, right? Like sometimes we're not at a place where even the most powerful revelations from God, like it may not get through. Maybe the fear is too big. Maybe it's too great. Like that's, that's life. You know, like that, not everyone always gets inspired all the time, right? Like, you know, you know in that movie Braveheart, some of you guys seen it, and where Mel Gibson gives that famous speech where he's wearing blue paint, right? That, that one speech that Dan is so good at giving that if you want to hear that speech in Dan's spot-on Scottish accent, I'm sure he'd be happy to do it for you right after church. Right? That speech, right? They would take our lives, they would take our freedom, right? And everyone's like, ah, oh, you know there was some guy who was holding his pitchfork and he's like, like, wait, so we're doing this thing? Like, are you for real? Like, I don't know. Are you sure? Like, I got a pitchfork. I'm a farmer. I don't, I don't know if I really want to do this. Like, you know there was some guy who didn't get inspired. Now, in this moment, like, look how God responds where Elijah is just so difficult. What God does is he just lays out the plan. He's like, all right, okay, that didn't work, man. All right, let's try something else. And he says to it in verse uh, 15, go back the way you came, go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, number one, anoint Hazael, Hazael, king of over Aram. Number two, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of over Israel. Number three, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escaped the sword of Hazael, uh, and Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all those who have not bowed the knee, bowed down to Baal, and whose mouth have not kissed him. So he like lays it out. Okay, that didn't work. Step one, two, three, this is what's going to happen. This is what you're going to do. And I think in this explanation, he really, he really, um, 
speaks to those three lies. He's like, you're not useless. You're not useless, right? Like, things are changing. The king and queen, Jezebel and Ahab, their time is done. I'm replacing them. It's over, right? You're not alone. There are 7,000, 7,000 other prophets that you don't know about. You're not alone. You're not the only one who cares. And I feel like in this conversation, God lays it out for him, the plan, and tells them all those things that you believe, those are all lies. Those are all lies. And I think for me, like, what's so powerful and we're about to end here. What's so powerful about this whole thing is that in this moment, like, I'd give up on Elijah. You know what I mean? Right, like, there's at one point where there's a limit where you're like, okay, dude, I sent fire from heaven two times for you, man. I don't do that for just anybody, but two times I sent fire from heaven. I did all these things for you. I'm trying to pump you up. I'm trying to get you good. I'm trying to take care of you. And it's not working. It's time for you to figure it out now, Elijah. Like, what else can I do? Like, that's me when I look at Elijah, when I look at God and Elijah. But the hope here is that through it all, as dark as Elijah has been, as, as downtrodden as he's been, as how depressing as Elijah has been, God never gave up on him. Right? And like that, to me, that's the hope, dude. Because if God never gave up on Elijah, that means God's never going to give up on you. Right? No matter how negative and bitter and angry you are, no matter how dark the thing that you're going through is, no matter how frustrating you are, no matter how many times your friends are like, you just need to suck, suck it up. No matter how many times you can't, no matter how frustrating it is for everyone, God will not give up on you. And that's his promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And like for me, man, as I look at this story all through that, that whole thing, that's the hope. Right? It doesn't mean that God is going to send fire from heaven and earthquakes and, and tornadoes for you. It doesn't mean that. And it doesn't even mean that if you're in a bad place, God is going to lay out the plan for your life. He has a plan. I can't guarantee that. They may not happen. What I can promise you is what God has promised in the scripture that I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the hope, man. Like, that's beautiful to me, and that keeps me going. And I hope that keeps you going. Whoever you are who needs to listen to this message, just know God wants to take care of you. He knows what you're going through, and he longs to take care of you as a father wants to take care of their children. And no matter what, he will not give up on you. So all I'm asking to you, whoever you are, whoever needs to hear this, don't give up on hope. And don't give up on him. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for, for this story. You know, Elijah, man, he went through a lot. And there are people in this room and people watching online who are also going through a lot. And there are probably people who are going through something very similar to Elijah, where they just can't get out of this funk. You know, they just can't get past whatever the trauma or the tragedy or the pain or the worry is. And, and they may feel guilty or shamed because of it. But man, I, I love that we have this story in Scripture, so real, God. You know, because maybe you know, we can't always be Daniel, you know, but sometimes maybe we can be Elijah. We're just going to stick it through. 
And I thank you, God, for this message of hope. Ultimately, what this all comes down to is really simple, God. You won't give up on us. So I pray, Father, for anyone who has been wanting to give up, wanting to leave or stop or end, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would fill them with your hope right now and help them to know, God, that you want to take care of them and you will absolutely never leave them, you will never forsake them, and you will never, ever give up on them. In your name we pray, amen.